for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. This is episode number three, and I'm your host, Aaron Blisey. Today, we're diving in with a Michigan native. His name's Alec Faber, and he hails from Owasso, Michigan. Today, we talk about Alec and his fitness background and him buying a nine-hole overgrown golf course to make it into an outdoor training mecca. We also dive into what he's doing on that nine-hole golf course to make it a better whitetail honey hole. And lastly, we talk about QDMA and how it's working here in Michigan. And we talk about his biggest buck to date when he harvested it last year on this nine-hole golf course just the day after a 5k race you're not going to want to miss this one so turn the volume up sit back relax and i hope you enjoy it All right, on the phone with me today is Alec Faber. How you doing, man? Doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, finally get you on the podcast here, and this is episode three, and and uh, I, you've got a heck of a story. I kind of tracked you down on social media and got a hold of you the other day and talked a little bit, and I'm super stoked about getting on and, and talking about this story, man. As am I. Well, cool. Hey, before we get started... Um, why don't you take a little time and tell me about yourself, where you're from, and uh, and what you do for a living? Okay. Um, originally born and raised in uh, mid-Michigan. Went to school at Corona High School. Um, 
graduated in 2003, moved on to Central Michigan, Fire Up Chips, went there, graduated there from 2000 in 2007. Um, and then after college, I dabbled with getting into landscaping a little bit more. I had my own lawn care through high school um, and then wanted to get into more of the, the, the bigger part of landscaping. So I did that for a couple of years. And realized that fitness was more of a passion for me. So uh, after the whole landscaping gig kind of faded away out of my uh, my path, I, uh, I approached and pursued the the fitness journey and became certified as a certified personal trainer. Um, I opened up a personal training facility in Owasso, Michigan, um, eight years ago, 2011, I think it was. And did that in the last three years, I, uh, I realized there was a niche for more of a outdoor training. So I purchased a old nine hole golf course here in Owasso, um, located, uh, right on South M 52 and, uh, have been doing that for the last three years, building a, an outdoor course. So Fitness has been kind of my passion for the last eight or nine years um, indoor, but has transitioned more to the outdoor training. Okay, well, you've uh, you've covered the whole whole spectrum from landscaping to fitness. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. What uh, What did you get your degree in at Central? Entrepreneurship, market, and marketing. Okay, so now you do the fitness thing for full time job. Is that is that what you're? Is that what you're into now? Uh, you could kind of say that. Um, that's what it was. Uh, the last eight years, uh, I was a personal trainer, um, you know, led group fitness classes and stuff like that. Um, now that I've moved over to Fortitude, my outdoor, my outdoor location, um, I still do group training. Uh, we do corporate training and stuff like that. The, the more individualized training is, is kind of on the back burner for me. Um, you know, I still do personalized training for outdoor fitness. Um, but mainly I'm focusing on, on just building fortitude to the, the vision that I, that I can see. Um, so I wouldn't really say personal training is, is my job. Um, I'm, I'm creating a location like no other. I got you. So is it like a tough mutter kind of thing or a warrior dash? Is that what you're trying to create? Uh, you can look at it as that way. Um, I've done eight tough mutters. I have one coming up in two weekends, and um, and that's been kind of the passion behind it. Uh, as I as I got into this venture, I realized there wasn't really a place to really get fit or know what to expect when you go to a tough mutter or warrior dash or Spartan or whatever kind of run it is. Um, you know, I also realized the one exercise that will never fade away is walking and running. People will consistently and constantly keep doing that, even if they have knee replacement, hip replacements. It's just one way that the, the, the mobility is, is always going to be there. Um, so that's kind of how I came up with Fortitude was, you know, I wanted to provide a safe and protected um, location environment where people could come out and not have to worry about texting and driving or, you know, getting hit or whatever that may be. So what we've done is we're taking the, the old putting greens and turning them into workout stations. Currently, we have cargo nets. We have four, six, eight-foot walls to climb over, beams, pull-up bars, monkey bars, um, tires, blocks, and it, it's it's constantly evolving. That's unbelievable, man. And, and just for you to be able to see a golf course and have a vision for it, 
it just blows my mind. Like I would have never thought looking at a golf course, you could make it into, you know, uh, a Mecca for training and outdoor fitness. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's kind of how I've taken it from a lot of people. I and mean, over the last three years, I've had quite a few people stop in and just ask what it is. Um, and the cool thing about this location, uh, at one point it was, it was owned by Brad Van Pelt. Uh, he was, I mean, he played for the New York Giants, uh, one of the best athletes to come out of Michigan State, one of the best athletes to really come out of Michigan. Um, and he owned this in the 80s. And it's so for this, for him to own it and have this location, people in this area, they, they can put two together. You know, they say, oh, that's the Brad Van Pelt property. I know exactly where that's at. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of history behind this property, um, you know, so we're not just doing the fitness, but we're also doing venues. You know, we have we host weddings. We have open houses, um, a full bar, renovated clubhouse with a patio. Um, so it's not just fitness. I mean, it's the, the business now is Fortitude Outdoor Fitness and Venue. OK, now let's dive a little bit farther into it. Now you're talking about the putting greens, our workout stations. What else do you have on there as far as like, what did you make the fairways into or, you know, anything along that lines? Well, the fairways um, are really just overgrown. So the, the golf course closed down four years ago um, and sat vacant. So everything just kind of overgrew. And I think that's why a lot of people would, couldn't really see past it as a golf course. You know, we, you know, we had people always say, Oh, you should reopen as a golf course. It's not what I wanted to do. Um, you know, so really right now the, the, the fairways are just overgrown grass and the trees and everything. Um, but we're actually now looking at turning three quarters of the golf course into a natural habitat, still have the, the running trails and stuff. Um, all our trails are they're 10 foot wide, distinctly marked off with colored, stakes um, kind of like a ski hill as if you would look at it um, but we're we're looking at really advancing the the I guess extra land into more of a natural habitat for wildlife for deer turkey pheasant etc how many how many acres is this golf course uh, so the entire property is about 117 acres uh, the golf course itself was a roughly around 50 acres um, okay. not including the, the driving range. So if you include the driving range, total acreage was about 60 acres for okay. the golf course. Now you wanting to create it into a, a wildlife, you know, natural habitat, wildlife thing for, for animals. Are you hunting this property? Do you and your friends or family hunt the property? We do. Uh, I have a brother-in-law that hunts with me. Um, you know, but I, business definitely comes first and right. it, it's a, it's a tough one to, to look at it that way, um, I mean, I've been bow hunting since I was 12, and you know, to to have this piece of property at, at this size and the capacity of what it is, it's it's such a blank canvas to to really allow me to do almost anything, um, you know. So, it there's a there's a lot of things going on on the drawing board of what's going to happen with this property over the next couple of years, um, but yeah, we do currently hunt it. So that's a pretty crazy, unique dynamic. Now, how do you, do you shut it down in the, in the fall or is it still running through the fall or do you just kind of hunt around the events that you have? How does that work? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so what we're, I mean, we've, I've been kind of developing this over the last two and a half years, really trying to figure out how I want to operate it and what I want to do. 
Um, so the last two years, what I've done is I've pretty much, I've, I've shut down the trails in the woods, um, not just for myself, but for the surrounding hunters, um, you know, cause I'm surrounded by fields and wood as well. And, you know, growing up as a hunter, you know, I want to be respectful for, the, for them as well. And, you know, I always, like I said earlier, business comes first, but I also, you know, I want to, I want to be fair to other people. And uh, I've communicated with the surrounding hunters, you know, and they've actually said that they have, I guess, redesigned and their layout for hunting. They've moved stands, you know, because they understand with what I'm trying to do. So that's good to know. Um, but yeah, we, we usually typically close the trails down uh, October 1st through January 1st, pretty much. Okay. So, so there's nothing else really happening on the on the course during the fall then? except hunting well we have you know we have the clubhouse so we can you know we still host events at the clubhouse which is right off the road you know that won't affect it um yeah you know and i I don't really hunt the old golf course so you know that's it's typically it's it's vacant i guess you know but we've we've opened just the trails on the golf course um in october mainly just for the colors you know people want to go out and have the the color tour or whatever it may be yeah. Um, but then I, I close the trails down through the woods. So I have two miles of trails on the old golf course and roughly two miles of trails through the woods. Okay. So they're still capable to get out there and, you know, do their fitness thing on the old golf course. Cause that's where all the obstacles are as well. So it's not, it's not essentially completely shut down. Um, you know, but just back in the woods, that's where we, we really kind of, we put the, the stop on it. Okay. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint a picture here. So now, good luck. (laughs) so is it, is it like a, a, like a square, like the property, is it like a perfect square and then the woods and it's okay. It's a rectangle. So are you, is the woods in the very back and then the golf course is more up the front. Okay. So can you break that down a little bit? Like coming from the front where the clubhouse and work your way back to the back of the property. How does that lay out? Okay, so you have you, you pull in, you have the clubhouse right off the road. Um, you can't miss it. Uh, we just installed two volleyball pitch, which is right outside the, the, the clubhouse as well. Um, and then we have four main trail entrances that surround the, the clubhouse area, so to say. Um, each entrance has a enlarged trail map just like a ski hill. You know, when you go to a ski hill, you look at the, the trails you want to go. You say you're going to go down the blue one to this one to this one. Um, all my all my trails are color-coded. So you kind of know where you're at, and they're very distinct. Um, it's not necessarily looking like a spider web, so to say, uh, mainly because I didn't want to have to mow that much. So if you start at the clubhouse, you can hit a trail, and then most of our obstacles are towards the back. Um, just because, you know, I want you to get a nice little warm-up jog or walking before you hit yep. an obstacle. So it's all, it's very open. I mean, there's a lot of pine trees and stuff, but obviously the golf course, so you have the enlarged fairways. Um, it's, and it's fairly flat. Uh, at one point the the name, I think they said it was El Flatador golf course. (laughs) 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 I never, I never golfed it. So I never really had the opportunity to, uh, to, to see what it was all about. Um, but as you walk back towards the woods, that's when it starts getting real thick. Um, the terrain back in the woods, it, you know, we've got a lot of hills. It all falls back to the east. Um, I mean, it is, it is very thick in there. So summertime, the trails are, are kind of canopied over and okay. very distinct. So beyond that, it's, you know, we've got, we have a po- couple ponds back there. 
Uh, we have a flowing creek that runs through it as well. So essentially, you know, it, I'm not going to say it's the perfect property, but it, it kind of is because we do have, we have the bedding areas, we have water, uh, food source. We have a, a huge field to the south of us, but, you know, we are going to install some food plots. So I guess for business and pleasure, it's kind of the, the perfect property. Okay, so now that you brought up the food and bed, that's kind of what I want to get into. I want to get into some hunting stuff here. So now you and I both know Michigan, highly pressured state, and you're just adding more pressure to your hunting hunting ground. So I'm really interested in how you combat that pressure and how you hunt these deer because I'm just going to say it, uh, you did shoot a really good deer last year. And you did tell me that you had a 5k race the day before you shot that deer on the property. Yeah. I want to dive into that. Now, how, how do you go about hunting this property? I mean, everything, it sounds like you're covering everything's kind of in the back. You got to go through your property to get to it. Now, are the deer living on you? Are they just passing through? Do you have food plots established? Are, do you guys bait? Do you, you know, what, what do you guys do to get those deer within range for you? Um, well, you know, that, that was one, one of my um, issues that kind of concerned me when I first bought the property. I knew I wanted to hunt it, but it was, it was kind of, okay, how do I do that with also running a business? Um, you know, so one thing that I, I guess I, I don't do is I don't, I don't change up my patterns. Um, you know, I have a, I have a player's ranger, so, and I'm on that pretty much daily and, I kind of keep that rhythm flowing throughout the entire year. So I guess the deer kind of get custom to that. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I think they do. Um, you know, I, I did, I, I did get to the opportunity to harvest a nice buck last year, opening morning. And we did have a 5k race the day before, um, which, you know, obviously it didn't affect it. Um, uh, but it, it, he was a pass through buck, you know, he was passing through. Um, so the pressure wise, you know, I, I guess it's just, it's what I have to live with. You know, if people are back in the woods, if people are trespassing, um, runners, walkers, whatever it may be, we're, you know, we're trying to just trying not to change it up that much. You know, we're, we're kind of constantly keeping movement going through there. So, so they do, the deer do kind of get accustomed to what's happening on this property year round. Um, you know, and like I said before, the, the woods are very thick and dense. So okay. they have, they have a lot of cover to hide and, um, you know, protected. So there's been opportunities. I'm sure that I've been walking or running or even riding in the ranger and I've driven right by deer and they never even moved. I never knew they were there. So, um, so when it comes down to a year round activity, you know, again, we just try to, we just kind of keep constant movement through the entire trails. I see. And, and, you know, that's something I've been the last couple of years really trying to hone in on for myself because, you know, I like to try to, it's, it, there's a double-edged sword and it's, it's a very fine line in my opinion, like running trail cams. So I don't really want to be back there all the time because that's more pressure. But I feel like if you do do it on a consistent basis, the deer will know your human scent kind of and maybe they'll run off a little bit but then they'll come back like they know you're not a harm to them at that point but now like what you were saying you have constant human scent rolling through there every day probably and they get accustomed to that and it's what they're probably thinking is in october it's probably just 
another runner coming through. So that probably really helps you yeah. and benefits you to that, that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does. Um, I mean, I think it plays a big role, you know, and it, it's one thing that I've always, I've always wondered, how is it a tractor can be in the field and the deer won't move. Right. But as soon as you walk or step a foot into the field, a half mile out, they see you and they're starting to move away from you, you know? So so it's just one of those, I guess, opportunities and things that I look at as is, is if I don't change it up and leave it, you know, moving and, and going the way it, it always has been, things should hopefully play its course. Yep. I could definitely see that. And, you know, what is what is your deer herd like? Do you see deer out there every day when you come in or, or are they – you know, you probably got a centralized group of does probably that, you know, a lot of places just have a group of fa- a family group of does that live there. Is, is that the case? Or are you going out and will you see 10, 12, 15 deer at night on any set? Oh, man, I tell you, it's, it's, it's definitely a change of pace on this property. Um, you know, growing up, I had the opportunity to hunt uh, around my, my house. My, my best friends are farmers, you know, so I grew up hunting with them and, Every day you'd go out, you'd see minimum 15 to 20 deer, you know, constantly. Um, on this property, it's totally different. Uh, I think I've, I get skunked just as much as I see deer, you know, okay. so it's a challenge. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm still learning the property. And that's the exciting part about it is I don't know if they're, they're staying in the property. I don't know if they're just passing through. Um, but for food source we only have really one main food source in the country mile and that's on the Southwest corner of my property. So there's a lot of cover for them to go into and a lot of places where they can hide and, and move through that. I won't ever be able to see them. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I definitely, it's, it's a challenge, you know, and it, it gets frustrating because I, there's been, oper- I mean, there's been days straight that I have been skunked. And it makes you wonder, what am I doing wrong? What, you know, what's, what's going on? Is it me? Is it the deer? Who knows? Um, so I'm, I'm slowly learning this property that I just have to take it for what it is and believe that it's more of a pass through property as of right now, you know, hence the reason we want to try to establish some good food plots and good food sources to keep them and contain them on this property. Yeah. So is that your goal this year is to, to put some food on the property somewhere and really try to hone in on you know like little destination food plots and yeah make sure that they're kind of staying there and you can somewhat pattern them yeah yep and so i did that last year i've got a couple pocket areas back in the woods that i cleared out and um you know we just put a mix in there just to get something established in the ground i you know i got them in a little later than i wanted to um you know again business comes first so i can't just have i can't devote all my time to to, to my fun activities Right. Um, you know, so I, last year I just put a couple, you know, quarter acre food plots, um, throughout the back area, which seemed to work, um, uh, kind of just to keep them in there a little bit, mainly just to, to get the trail cam pictures. Uh, once season came around, they weren't hitting them like I thought they would, uh, or if they would, it'd be at night, which, you know, it is what it is. But that's, that's one thing we, I, I'd like to establish in the old golf course because I have a lot of vacant land, and it's a question that everyone asks, what are you going to do with all that land? You know, I'd rather turn it into something that it's you know, more valuable, not just for me, but for, you know, for nature. And, and, it's, and it's good for, for the, the property as a whole because it's going to kind of fill in those, those gaps 
So when people are out walking, it's not like you can see a half mile or a quarter mile across a, the course, you know, it just yeah. makes it more dense for them. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's a challenge. Did, so you said you were going to do some habitat stuff. Have you ever dabbled in like hinge cutting and, and making some screen cuts? And so it allows you to get in your stand a little better, like, you know, makes your access better or even creating any buck beds or doe beds have you have you dabbled in doing any of that i have um we actually we we had 80 acres um south of morris which is just south of owasso a couple miles and i took that property we had that for five years and that's kind of that's kind of what i wanted to do with it was create a, a habitat and i had more plans for it but then this property came up so i had to cut my losses on that one um, I gotcha. But I spent an entire two summers out there hinge cutting um, 24 acres of the woods and, you know, creating an environment for the deer where they could be safe. You know, I had trails going through theirs to get to my stands and whatnot. Um, the bad thing is the year after I did all that, we sold it. So I never really got to <laughs> <laughs> to see the benefits of it. And I've always said that I'm sure the next guys that own this property are probably going to harvest a nice buck on it. Just, <laughs> just because I know they're out there. I've seen them. Uh, I had, we had a 12 point that I watched in an entire summer and the neighbor next to us ended up taking it, which, you know, he's a great hunter as well. Um, but I know the potential of that property and I was excited to see what it, what it could produce. I just never got the, the, the time to, to see it happen. Yeah. So are you going to try to implement that a little bit on the golf course as well? Yeah. Um, I've actually just met with someone earlier this week that's going to help design a plan for me. Um, you know, we're going to plant a lot of trees, uh, a lot of tall grasses, um, ways to just kind of fill in the property around the plots that I'm going to establish as well. So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of detail and work involved in that, but it's, you know, it's a passion of mine. I love working outside um, anyone that knows me knows I'm a, I'm a workaholic. I, I love the work, um, whether it's for my business or for something that I enjoy doing as a, as a pleasure, I guess. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm excited to get started in that and that won't happen until next year, uh, just because now we're, we're approaching the warmer months and it's, it's hard to establish a tree, you know, when, when we're not getting much rain or anything like that. So, uh, that whole project will take place starting next year and it'll probably you know it'll be a couple years to really establish something uh, mainly because i have a lot of land to work with Mm-hmm. okay so have you like segregated out pieces that you really want to hone in on and try to make those a little better and then kind of web out from there or are you kind of looking at the whole property as a whole like this is what i want to do through the whole thing yeah um you know i'm, I'm gonna essentially i'm gonna leave the woods kind of the way they are um i like i like the dense the density that they provide for the deer um you know there, there's a lot of hills so you know they can they, they can hide they, they feel safe back there um so that that area i really don't want to change too much uh just because but the the old golf course itself you know again it's roughly 50 acres of pretty much vacant land you know i got a lot of trees and stuff but for the most part it's you know with the fairways it's it's kind of a, a perfect picture to be able to have separate plots you know because I've, I've got them separated throughout the entire course by the tree lines and whatnot um so what we're going to be doing is taking some of those old fairways and turning them into food plots but then putting cover and tall grasses and trees around them okay 
That sounds like a like a really cool plan, and I can't wait to see what it does for you, honestly. Yeah, I'm excited for it. You know, again, I mean, it's not going to happen until next year, which is perfectly okay. Um, we have a lot on the books this year already just to, to, to build the property for the business aspect of it. So, um, you know, next year will be a fun year, and then the years after that, watching it uh, produce, you know, and fill in, that's, what's, that's when it's going to be really exciting for us. Yeah, for sure. Now you we you know we briefly touched about the deer that you killed last year on October first. I want to dive into that. I mean, what's the story behind that? You know, did you have that deer? Did you see him? You know, years prior, did you run trail cams and have him on trail cam? Um, you know, let's let's dive in a little bit of that. What was your plan going into last season and and harvesting that buck? Yeah. Um... I mean, I'd love to say there's a great story behind that leading up to the harvesting day, um, but there really wasn't. Um, I had I had a couple of nice bucks on on camera that I was I was going after um, throughout the summer. Actually, I had I had about three of them that really were on, on the hit list, so to say. And oddly enough, I never saw one of them. What were those? What were those deer like? How big were they? Like, what's what's the quality of deer in your area, and what are you trying to strive to? to harvest every year well we got, i mean we've got good you know great food source in this county um you know a lot of corn soybeans alfalfa and all that so the food source is strong around here um the the deer herd itself is is pretty good you know it is a you know like you said earlier michigan's a pressured state um and one thing that really has grasped my my methods of hunting was the whole qdma the quality deer management um, you know, we started that on the, the property that I used to hunt around my parents' place probably about 10 years ago, and it has paid dividends on the bucks that have been harvested around there. And I mean, it's just the quality of deer that they, they're, they're harvesting each year are just spectacular. You know, they're the big bucks, the bucks that you dream of hunting. And that's kind of the way I look at it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for taking a doe as well. Um, but you know, I, I let them go, let them grow. You know, and let, let the bucks, the small bucks, you know, let them wander by you, you know, learn, watch them, study them, you know. And it, when you do that, I, I realize that, you know, it actually becomes hunting. You know, uh, you, you get a year and a half walking in. He's not the smartest buck on, or the smartest deer on the block. You know, he's just he's just right. out walking around. So it's challenging because you want to, you know, you want to take that buck each year. But sometimes you just don't get it. You know, I mean, I, right. I, had, I didn't shoot a buck for almost eight, eight years, really, you know, because of that method. And it was hard, you know, it got frustrating at times, but I knew what I, I knew what I wanted and I knew what I was going for. You know, I wanted a, a more mature whitetail and that whole quality deer management method is it, it's, it's starting to grasp in Michigan. I think a lot more people are starting to pick up on it. Um, we know a lot of people in Shiawassee County that have been doing it for the last five plus years, and they're really starting to see the benefits of it, you know, and again, it, it's tough because you want to get that, that buck every year. And sometimes you just don't get that opportunity, you know, so I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of the whole quality deer management, you know, let them go, let them grow, um, you know, take a, if you got a nice two and a half in front of you. Yeah, that's great. A three and a half. Great. I mean, if you can let them get four and a half or five and a half, that would be huge, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but a lot of people that I talk to about it is, well, if I don't shoot it, the neighbor will shoot it. That's not, that's not necessarily true because the more, the more people that understand the quality deer management, 
um, I think the more people really pick up on it, you know, and, and that's kind of what I've, I've been trying to do. And I've, I've talked to the guys that hunt around here and I think they're, they're really, they're doing the same thing. Um, you know, it, they might have a, a different standard. It might have to have four points on one side or an eight pointer better, which is still great, you know, because you're letting those small bucks mature out for the next year, um, or two years, whatever it may be. So quality deer management, I think is starting to evolve more and more. Um, and I think it's getting exciting for the, the, the average hunter in Michigan, because we're starting to see an increase in antler size. And that's when, you know, that's when it becomes exciting for you. Um, you know, and I've watched, I've watched deer grow, especially on the, the old property I hunt that when you would see that, that even that year and a half, eight point, and then next year, the mass that he puts on, you know, now you're, you're starting to pull trail cams. You know, you were talking about trail cams earlier. I get just as excited pulling cards out of my trail cams as I do hunting. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of, it's kind of like a, a Christmas day. Cause you just, you're excited to see. And that it, it's hard because you want to pull your cards constantly. Um, but it, it's good to let, you know, let them sit for a while. And then, you know, then you get to kind of pattern those bucks because you, you're getting to see if they're moving through there more frequently than not. So um, the, the whole let them go, let them grow statement. I, I, am a, I'm a huge, huge believer in. Yeah. And you definitely, you're like speaking my language when you were talking about the neighbor deal now up here in central Michigan, I'm, you know, I'm like probably 45 minutes North of you and our hunting camp. We've got a couple, I've got a couple different farms that I hunt, but the farm I grew up hunting is 215 acres and we've got a nice deer, deer cabin or like a hunt cabin and, and, you know, my dad and, and my uncle and my cousins and, and their friend, you know, my dad's friends are a part of it. There's 10 or 11 guys that are part of 215 acres, but all the older guys, they're only really rifle hunting now. So Mm -hmm. it's us younger guys are bow hunting, but around us, you know, the guys to the west of us, they have a rule. It's got to be six or better. So if it's six points or better, they're going to shoot it. Our rule for the last probably 15 to 18 years has been eight point or better or four on one side. That's what we've been getting into. But we also get the guys that say, well, if I don't kill it, then the neighbor's going to kill it. Well, you know, I hate hearing that because if you kill it, it's 100% dead. It's done. Let that deer, give that deer a chance to flourish one more year. And more often than not, that deer does get killed. But there are times, uh, for instance, like three years ago, I had a deer, um, I, his name was Triple Brow, and I know original, but his, <laughs> he, the first time I got a picture of him, he was a two-and-a-half-year-old deer, and he was probably right around 115 to 120 inches. It's a really good, respectable deer, and I'm like, man, I hope this deer really makes it through to next year. And I was getting him on, like, three different cameras, and it took, like, it took a little bit of finagling to figure out his pattern, but he did have a pattern and he was very smart and it was just really fun trying to hunt him. He did end up making it through the season as a two and a half year old. And I got a picture of him on March. Well, it was March 15th, I believe. And he still had both antlers. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Holy cow, he's still alive. Cause he disappeared during gun season. You know how that is. In oh, yeah. And I'm like, 
please just make it through, please. Well, I pulled the camera on March 15th, and he's there, and I'm like, holy cow, he's he made it, you know. So going into the next year, I'm like, how am I going to try to kill this deer? And so I'm putting in my food plots. I, I actually planted two other kill plots for him in his area, and really... Him being a two and a half to a three and a half year old deer, he had a small home range. I mean, small as in like maybe 30 acres, okay. like small. And the th- what he was doing was my neighbor to the east of us, I'm pretty good friends with him and we're on the same page. He's, they're only going to kill good, you know, three and a half to four and a half year old deer. It's yeah. got to be three and a half and it's got to be, you know, that that's kind of the rule there. So as we're going through the summer, I start getting pictures of him in the in the um in the summer as velvet comes on and I'm like okay he he put on probably 15 inches I would uh, well yeah I would say at least 15 maybe 20 inches he was probably as a two and a half year like I said he was probably 115 110 115 somewhere in there and so season came along and I stopped getting pictures of him like mid September and I'm like crap here we go. You know, yeah. like he's, he's gone four days before October 1st. He is on one of the food plots I put in, in daylight. And I'm like, okay. So then I tried trying, I tried getting a pattern on him. Is he coming in on what wind? What's the barometric pressure doing? I'm just trying to get some sort of upper hand on him to figure it out. Well, yeah. I couldn't really figure anything out there, but the neighbor to the East, he, his brother ended up shooting him. I think it was the October 2nd night and he shot him he ended up scoring 134 and uh, nice. as a three and a half year old but that just goes to show that like you know some of those deer do get through and then sometimes you will get a two and a half year old that like blows up too he might be a Pope and young two and a half year old and it's like really hard to not kill that deer right and I just hope he doesn't walk in front of me so I don't have to make that decision <laughs> yeah so but I can tell you in the last 10 years just on our property from our guys, like, we don't shoot the – obviously, there's no year-and-a-half deer, year-and-a-half-old deer getting shot at all anymore. That's not even a not even a thing. Yep. Now, we do shoot some upper echelon, two-and-a-half-year-old. We're trying mm-hmm. to shoot the top 10% of the bucks on our property. So whether that be a two-and-a-half-year-old, 110-inch deer, or that's a three-and-a-half-year-old, that's kind of what we're striving for. And it, it it's – you know, it's not going to be built over overnight. No. So – it's a slow process, but we're getting there, and I'm happy to start seeing it get bigger and bigger. Um, my best friend, he hunts five miles from us, and he their family's kind of doing the same thing. They uh, they hunt a, a Christmas tree farm. His grandpa owns a Christmas tree okay. farm, and he's going to come on the podcast here in a couple, in a little while anyway. And October 4th, he killed a 144-inch 4-year-old and a 140-inch 3.5-year-old 50 minutes apart in the same state. Uh. And he like, he just figured the deer out, and they're passing deer. Mm-hmm. Now, his section is not as pressured. It is pressured, don't get me wrong, but it's not as pressured as right. ours is. And he's got a little more pockets, like swamp, hemlock, you know, hemlock forest and swamps that they can hide in a little more. Our yeah. property is pretty mature. So it's just all about, it's relative. It's, it's like where you're at and yep. you know what I mean? So that's just what we're trying to strive for. And it sounds like you guys are on the, on the, on the same, same path as well. So Yeah. 
Yeah, deer are tough to pattern. Um, I mean, you can pattern them, you know, but I, I, we had a big eye opener a couple of years ago. A buddy of mine um, ended up taking a beautiful, I, I believe it was a 10 point, um, and he shot it during muzzleloading season, saw it on the property a couple of days before, went out the next the next day, saw it, and then shot it the second day, I think, after he was hunting it. And the odd thing we found out, and this buck is very unique because of its rack, um, my other friend of mine, my insurance agent, his friend had a picture of this buck on trail cam back in, I think, September. And from a bird's flight was about 14 miles away. Holy cow. And it was the exact buck because, again, the, the, the rack was very distinct. And, I mean, we studied it. But then we looked at the, the, the geography of everything, of where it came from, from that first picture back in September, and it's all river bottoms all the way over. I mean, there's mm-hmm. river bottoms and creeks that it could have traveled, and we're assuming that's what it did, you know. So, so going to the, the point of, you know, you're, you're looking at a deer and then all of a sudden disappear, and the hard part is, do they stay on your property? Do they leave your property, you know? And that, that year we realized that deer can travel far, you know, so it, it's always a gamble. And it was one thing that really kind of was like, oh my gosh, like to be able to harvest that buck and, and knew and know that at one point it was about 14 miles away was, is a huge eye opener for us. And like you said, it, it could take a hot doe in yeah, the rut exactly. and he could go 15 miles yeah. or, or, you know, he might he might be a homebody and he just stays there. And, you know, if a hot doe comes through, that's just what he picks up on. Yeah. So that's what fascinates me about deer too, man, is like all deer are different. I kind of equate them just like people, you know, you've got, you know, as the, as some guys grow up, they could be bullies, you know, and they just bully people or they could be really subordinate that really just don't like confrontation. And that's how deer are, you know, It, it could be all about how they, uh, you know, grew up, how their mother nurtured them, or maybe they had a instance with coyotes when they were younger and it just really scared them or, yeah. you know, and they're just, who knows? It's just, that's what's so unique about them. And I honestly think we give them too much credit. Let's be honest. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, they are, they do have great instincts cause they have a will to live. They have, they're out there to live and it's, it's pretty crazy, and I don't know. I've got some philosophies that probably other people don't agree with, but, you know, I, I an October lull, I don't believe in an October lull. I, there's just – I don't believe in it. I don't think it's a thing. I think that what people think is, you know, you go 11 months or 12 months of the year or however long, you know, the off season, and then you come into your property for maybe the first time, majority of the people probably just come out of the property for the first time in October, Mm -hmm. then they start hunting and pressuring a little bit. Well, yeah, then it's going to move the deer a little bit. It's just not that deer don't just lay there all day, in my opinion. They don't sit there and lay down like, oh, the hunters are after me. They, they, I feel like they don't do that. And also with nocturnal deer, like deer, in my opinion, are not nocturnal. Our pressure makes them nocturnal, but the thing is, they're still moving in daylight hours somewhere. Yeah. Yep. You know, just because I pressured them on my farm to the south, you know, to the north, that farm, that's probably where there's not a lot of pressure and 
they're there in the daylight frolicking around. You know, yeah. a buck is not going to sit there and lay down for eight or nine or ten hours a day in a hole saying, well, I'm not coming out because I know what's out there. Yep. Uh, to my, in my opinion, that doesn't happen. Well, they get, you know? they definitely get smarter as they get older. I mean, the, the mature yes, bucks, definitely. you know, and, and that's the thing is that's what makes it as exciting is when you let them go, let them grow. Like that's, that's the whole idea, you know, and it, it becomes hunting. And, um, you know, I, I believe with you on that and the, you know, pressure plays a big part. Um, it's just, it's, it's a challenge, you know, and is it luck? Is it, is it, you put your time and your work in? I don't, you know, I guess it's, it's however you look at it. So trying to harvest that buck, that mature buck, you know, yeah, it can be a challenge because maybe they are just moving at night, but when are most people in the woods mornings and afternoons? Exactly. You know, so they see, you know, they're, they're watching you walk out of your stand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they know, why wouldn't you move? You know, the pressure's off. Right. You know, those midday bucks, yeah, they're moving. You know, you just, exactly. just got to figure out how and where they're moving to. And not a lot of people are hunting midday. No, it's you hard. Know? It's hard to do an all-day hunt constantly. It is, yeah. Um, and it's hard because, you know, a lot of people grew up and their dads or their grandfathers or whoever taught them was like, well, you hunt in the morning and then you hunt in the evening, yep. you know, like my dad never hunted midday. That's just something like, you just don't do it. Exactly. So for you to sit there and be like, well, I'm going to sleep in this morning and I'm going to go out there about 10 o'clock and hunt from 10 to three. It's like, why would that seem so wrong? Because you were never yep. taught that. But honestly, I feel like if you do it and you do it at the right time of the year in the right you know, the weather and all, and everything lines up, yeah. you're going to be successful and yeah. it'll probably be an eye opener to everybody. Yeah. Big that time. Does it. Yeah. I'd agree. So uh, we got down that rabbit hole. Let's go yeah. back. I want to, I want to hear about this story about your buck. So let's, let's break that down. Let's, uh, you know, tell me about the first time or, you know, maybe the first time you saw him or is it the first time you saw him the morning you killed him? Let's, Take me through all those steps. Yeah. So as I said before, you know, we had a 5K race the day before. Um, so I was a little apprehensive on, you know, what the turnout was going to be for opening morning. And, um, you know, opening morning, you're always giddy, excited, you know. So I had my coffee and whatnot on the way in. And I was hunting a stand that I had put up um, earlier in the summer. And I actually I called it Morning Glory um, because I just had a strong feeling about this stand. It's just it was that it was a perfect setup that I just, I, I, it, it just felt right. And once I had it all set up and everything, um, and it, I got up there and I looked at the layout and whatnot, it just, it, it all came to surreal, you know, I was like, okay, this could be the, the, the perfect stand. Um, you know, and you always have that favorite stand. So I, I, I try to put in my mind, don't overhunt the stand. Um, you know, as much as you want to, it's, it, it is what it is. So opening morning, uh, last year was, I would, you know, I was thinking about it yesterday, was probably one of the best opening mornings weather-wise that I've ever hunted um, over the last 15, 17 years, whatever it is, um, as, well, that I can remember. I mean, the weather was perfect. It was calm. I think it was it was high, high 30s, low 40s, um, clear skies, you know, so it was one of those mornings that you just, you couldn't miss, you know, but typically opening morning, opening day, you just don't miss anyways. Um, whether rain, shine, hot or cold, you know, you, you just, you're excited to get out. You put your time in, you want to see what can happen. 
So I, I got hunkered in my stand about half hour, 45 minutes before light. Um, it's a, it was a long walk back. So I, I knew it was going to take me some time. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to rush back there or whatever. So I got all set up and I had just literally put my GoPro mount on my bow the night before. Uh, just cause I thought, man, it'd be real cool to, to be able to kind of film shooting a deer. You know, I used mm-hmm. my GoPro mount, um, the last couple of years, but never really had the opportunity to, to actually videotape it as, as you would. So I, I rigged it back up, uh, the night before, you know, all excited, got in my stand, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm sitting over a creek. And I'm actually facing the creek, and hearing that running water doesn't help after you drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> uh, I learned that throughout the season. Um, but I was sitting there, and I, I heard something in the water, but I didn't know what it was because it was—I mean, it was still relatively dark out. Now, are you si- are you sitting in like an oak flat, or you know what what what's your scenario? You, so there's a creek by. Is it like a pinch point? Like break that down. We have power lines that run through the property, so I'm near those. Um, okay. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm up in this old tree, and then on the other side of the creek is overgrown grass, thickets, and everything. So uh, you, I, I relatively, I have a pretty good view of anything coming at me and crossing through. Now, I believe it's a perfect spot as they're going back into their bedding area. Okay. Um, you know, so, it so is, you're trying it, to keep, catch them going back to bed. Yep, and it's it's an area that I, I I started hunting two years ago on the other side of the creek, but I pulled back because I felt like I was pressuring it too much by going in and out of there. So it was one of those I, I wanted to take a new approach last year, and I, th- I said, okay, I'll just leave that area. That's kind of the sanctuary area, and just you know don't go in there unless I have to go in there. And I was sitting there, and at seven. I, well, I shot the, I shot the buck at seven eighteen, seven eighteen or seven nineteen in the morning. So, I mean, it happened fast. I mean, it okay. was, it was just getting light and I heard something coming up the creek at me and I didn't do my full, full homework because there was a tree limb down in the creek. And I thought, Oh gosh, if something comes in, like I, I've lost my window to shoot, but that, that tree limb actually played to my advantage because was it, what it did is it forced the buck out of the creek. It couldn't go. It, I mean, you could go through it, but you know, it's going to take the easiest route out. So right, as yep. it as it came closer to me, I could see the feet coming um, through the water, and then I, I noticed it had horns. And as soon as it put its head down, I immediately knew it was a shooter. You know, I was. That's when the heart started racing. Got excited. You know, okay, this is it. Completely forgot about my GoPro. Never, <laughs> never even crossed my mind. And. I mean, it, it was one of those things I look back on. It's like, dang it. You know, I, I, I rigged I it up. I wish I would have had that, that on oh film. Gosh. <laughs> and so he came walking down the creek at me, you know, and the, like I said, the heart's racing. I'm, I'm getting excited and thinking, okay, this is just not happening. I mean, opening morning, it just usually doesn't, it just doesn't play out like this. Um, so he came right at me. He came in about 15 yards uh, down the creek and he hopped out where that limb was, where I thought was going to be a, a hinder on me, but it actually worked out to my advantage. And he hopped out, and I missed my first window of opportunity as he was walking through because I thought he was going to follow a different trail that was going to give me a perfect broadside shot. But as it, as he did, he started walking away from me, and I, that's when I was just like, "Oh man, I just blew it!" You know, opening morning, have this beautiful buck, and I'm walking, I'm watching his butt as he's walking away from me. Well, then 
as the trail that he was taken was leading towards just this, there's a small, probably about a 10 foot opening between a bunch of thickets. And I noticed there was a, a licking branch that deer had hit in previous years. I knew there was a tree there that they always hit. So I, he was heading right towards that. So as he's approaching that, I knew he was going to start walking in on an angle again. So it gave me a quarter away shot. Um, now I didn't put the best shot placement on. I actually was really disappointed in myself, but you, you know, you look at the picture as a whole, I harvested it. I found the deer. Um, he ran about 80 yards and died. I heard him crash, but I also thought maybe he just jumped through something, you know, so you never know what mm-hmm. it is. Right. Um, you know, and I, I tell you, I am a, after that, that shot, I am a firm believer in Luminox because I okay. watched, I watched my arrow and watching that little glow run through the woods and being able to see that last point of where he was at made a huge difference. Yeah. Cause I didn't Definitely have, even with shot placement too. Yes. You know, and I didn't have, um, much blood and I knew I hit back. So I, you know, I wasn't real, I wasn't, I wasn't proud of my shot. Uh, but being that it happened at seven nineteen in the morning, it, it almost like it never happened. You know, because it happened so fast. Right. So I sat for another three and a half hours, three hours. And oh, wow. I, that's, and, that's tough to do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, it was, it was <laughs> but it literally, it was like I, I was sitting there thinking, and like, there's no way that I, I don't know. Like, I didn't know what to think on the situation. Um, and I actually had two smaller bucks come in about 20 or 30 minutes after that and go the same route that he did. So, so I thought, okay, this could be a good thing, you know? And then after about a half hour, I heard a crash and I thought, oh my gosh, he's up and running again. So I just, I, you know, I just, I sat there. I was like, you know, I just play it out because how cool would it be to, to tag out opening morning? I mean, it'd be good and bad because season's over, but it'd also be a great story for it. Um, you know, so I, I was like, you know what, hunt it out. It is what it is, you know, just yeah, the, the nerves calmed down. I was still excited, but I just, I didn't know what to think, you know, and especially cause I knew I hit him back. So I knew I wasn't going to get right on it anyways, but it was also going to get warmer. So I, I had to, you know, I had to make that decision when to get down and get on that, get on the trail. So I had a buddy come out and, you know, we started walking and started where I shot him. And then I said, I know he went up this trail and the last point that I could see him, I could still see my stand is where I stopped. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, just a very little bit of blood. And it's like, Oh my gosh, this isn't good. And literally looked up the trail and there it was laying. No. So, way. so it was one of those, you know, when it comes to Luminox, I am a 100% believer in Luminox. Uh, you know, especially if, if I would have had my GoPro on, you would have been able to see the more, a better, better view of the shot placement, which I knew right. it was back a lot further back than I, than I wanted it to be. But again, the picture as a whole, I, I did harvest it. I found the buck, you know, and the story kind of panned out from there. So it was a buck that I had never, never seen, never had it on camera. So I, I had no idea what it was um, walking at me. I, you know, I, you, you want to ignore the horns just because exactly. you, yep. you're, you're looking, but you don't want to look. Right. And, and I, I, I figured I counted 10 um, real quick. You know, I knew it was a nice eight or a 10. I was like, okay, great. Um, so we went up to the buck and lo and behold, he ended up being a 12 point, had a couple kickers on him. So he's a very unique buck. Um, you know, I so, say, so that's when the excitement started up again, you know, but then the next, the next thing that crossed my mind was, 
and I said it from the moment I bought the property when we first kind of scouted the area was it would have to be a large mature buck for me to shoot it back here because of the stuff that we have to pull it through to get it out. Right. I mean, it's, it is thick, thick, thick back there with the, the grasses and the, the poplars and everything, you know? So I, my buddy that, um, helped me kind of scout the area. I said, I told him, I said, it literally would have to be a, a mature buck for me to shoot back here because of the, what it would take to get it out of there. Um, so yeah, so we walked up on it and, um, you know, it, it died fairly fast. You know, that crash that I heard is I actually think it was one of those bucks walking up towards it and noticed something wasn't right and, and took off running. I see. Okay. That, that, that I could be completely wrong on that, but the, the two, the two smaller bucks that I saw after I shot him, walked the exact same route that he ran and okay. they kind of, they kind of gave me the scare, you know, but, um, no, it panned out great, man. It was, it, it was a, it was a cool, cool hunt. I mean, the, the day was perfect. Um, you know, the morning was something you always dream of for an opening day. And the fact that I had never seen that buck at all, uh, made it that much more exciting. And the crazy thing about this buck was, um, as we were skinning it out, it had, two gashes in his hind quarters, one on each side. And, really? you know, we're trying to figure out what, you know, like what, what could this be? And we actually picked up a, an old rack and kind of placed it up to those holes. Yeah. And that's the, the best conclusion we can come up with was he was a fighter and whether he got his butt kicked or, something flanked him from behind and went up and gouged him from the, you know, from the backside. Um, That's crazy. it was, it was, it was bizarre. Cause I never, I've never seen it before, you know, something like that, but you know, to have two massive gashes in his hind quarters, one on each side, it, you know, it wasn't like he got shot. You know, I thought maybe the first one we came across, I thought maybe a youth hunt, you know, maybe someone right, hitting with yep. a youth hunt, but then as we kept quartering or skinning him out, we saw the other one and that one was bigger. I was like, okay, something's not right. Yeah, he must have got gored or something. That's, that's kind of what we were thinking. So now it's crossing my mind. There's a bigger one out here. You know, there's <laughs> <laughs> there's a bully coming, you know. So, yep. um, I, you know, and I got a couple of nice pictures of bucks throughout the year last year. Um, but, you know, I'm I, more than thankful enough for the, the buck that I harvested for opening morning. And I did get to shoot one during muzzleloading as well that had a, a wound in its neck. Um, you know, he was not, he wasn't nearly as nice as the buck I shot opening morning, but still last year to take two nice bucks was, was definitely a, a pleasure. That's awesome. And is that your, is that your biggest buck to date then? That is my biggest buck. Um, you know, I've messed up in the past. Um, I've seen a lot of big bucks. I've screwed up on shots. I've, I've missed big bucks before. Um, but yeah, he is my biggest to date. So how, how big was he? How old was he? Uh, you know, we, I never had him actually aged, um, uh, but we we're, we we're guessing three and a half going off the, the mass and everything. Um, you know, in the head size, we're, we're, we're guesstimating at three and a half. Okay. Which is a very good representation to, yeah. where, you know, the area that we're in and, you know, you've sent me pictures and I'm going to put them on social so everybody can see them as well. 
it's a great deer. I mean, a 12-pointer, it's – you ask 100 hunters around here in Michigan, I'm telling you, 95% of them are saying they're killing that deer. Yeah. You know, we always joke about it when you send your, your picture out of your harvest to someone, and if you receive one from one of your buddies, you always kind of respond back, you know, it would have been bigger next year if you would have let it go. Exactly. But as, as a joke, you know, but knowing you would have shot it as well. So, right. um no, he was, he's a, he was a great deer. You know, I wish there was more story behind him, um, leading up to it, you know, with trail camp pictures, but it was just one of those, those bucks that I'm assuming was passing through, um, you know, and just kind of took the wrong path at the wrong time. Yeah. What, uh, what broadhead did you shoot him with? I use slick tricks. Um, okay. I switched up to slick tricks probably about three or four years ago. Um, growing up, I was a muzzy fan. You know, I yep. die hard muzzy just because I thought they were, you know, I mean, they're, they're tough. Um, for for one year, I switched over to me- mechanicals when they kind of hit the craze of the market where everyone shoot mechanicals because of the the, wound, the, the hole that it, it will leave in there. Um, I'd rather have a fixed blade. It, you know, it's my personal opinion. I just, I think it's it's stronger. You're, you're more dominant with it. Not saying, you know, rages or any of those aren't great broadheads. Um, to each his own, it's what you believe in and what you feel that's going to be the best for your harvest. Right. Yeah, and that's – what What bow do you shoot? I shoot the Hoyt Carbon Element. Okay. So that's that was the big thing, you know, when the when the mechanicals came out too is, you know, they're, they're easier to tune. You can't really mm-hmm. tune a fixed blade, you know, because I grew up shooting – thunderheads you know and they were they were a great broadhead and i killed a lot of deer and watched a lot of deer die with those and then i've really only shot two broadheads for the majority of my hunting and it was thunderheads and i've been shooting rage for the last i've shot them since like 2009 and honestly Mm -hmm. i've only had one instance with a rage and it was a three blade rage that it didn't go very well but other than that like yeah i've you know, I've I've had success with both, but this year I'm wanting to get back into the fixed blades again because I'm a fixed blade guy, and the reason why I went to a mechanical is, like you said, there was the craze going on. It was like mechanicals. you got to do the mechanicals. And mm-hmm. with the faster bows, you could tune them a lot better. You really can. But now there's some fixed blades coming out that are flying like field points up to – you know, 60, 70, 80 yards. And I really want to try those. And like you said, it's the wound channel and a mechanical, obviously you're going to get a better wound channel, but the penetration and the punch, I like packing a punch. Um, that's what I want to get with a, you know, a fixed blade. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really, I can't speak highly enough of the slick tricks. Um, I, I, I got hooked on them at a, bow shop here in Owasso, um, guns and bows. They, they've hooked me up with my bows. They've, they, they do all the tune-ups and everything. And when I went in there and they suggested the, the slick tricks, um, I had a, one of my, my good buddies, he bought slick tricks the year before. And he told me, he's like, they, they fly just like a field point. And with my muzzies, I felt like I was always tweaking after I was sighted in with my field points, yep. there was always some kind of adjustments that I'd have to do to it. Um, and it, they weren't large adjustments, but just they're the adjustments that you wanted to make it. So it was perfect. And when he told me about the slick tricks and then I went into the gun, the, the bow shop and you know, he was talking about them. He said the exact same thing as my buddy. He's like, they shoot identical. 
there's, there's no tweaking. He's like, I've never had to, you know, and again, everyone has their own opinion. Um, but I thought I'd give him a try and I found out, I mean, they are, they're an awesome broadhead. Um, you know, and I think they're, they're now becoming more popular. People are really starting to pick up on the name of Slick Trick. And again, I can't speak highly enough about them. I mean, they, it put a great hole in it. Um, you know, allowed me to harvest the buck. It shoots great even after changing out from field points. So, you know, if you're looking for a good broadhead, uh, you know, muskies are great. They're all good broadheads. It just depends on what you're really looking for out of it. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer in the slick tricks. That's awesome. That's really cool, man. And that's the broadhead thing. You, you can fight with people to the, to the death. Oh and yeah. You've got your diehard mechanical guys and you got your diehard yeah. fixed blade guys and you're not gonna, you're not gonna change their mind. You know, I've got friends no. that are just like rage, rage, rage. It's all it is. And I'm, I'm not bashing a rage at all. I'm not bashing any no. broadhead. I'm just it's personal preference and, yep. you know, and that's kind of where I'm to the point where I want to try something else again. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of that guy. I want, I like the new stuff. I like trying the new stuff and, and yep. figuring it out. And then once I find something that I really like and the setup I like, then I go with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. We're, uh, we're right up on an hour here and I want to, I want to thank you for coming on and, Give me the time to talk about everything, and we're gonna have to do this again for sure. Well, this is a great thing. I, you know, the, we talked about it earlier this week about podcasts, and I, I love, I love the idea of what you're doing. You know, especially trying to reach out to other hunters to hear other hunters' stories. You know, so you know, the question I have for you is, you know, how did you get involved with the whole podcast system? <laughs> well, it's it's kind of funny. I well, maybe not funny, but it's kind of a a little story, I guess. I've I've been uh, since I got out of college. I went to college for uh, tele- television and digital media productions. I graduated from Ferris State over in Big Rapids, and um, and I wanted to do something with hunting, and I love to film and 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 edit. That's what I really like to do, and uh, so right when I got out, graduated out of college, I found a company, Rusted Rooster Media in Midland. And I went and interned there and it was supposed to be a six month internship and they hired me after I think two months. So I got hired in and I've been doing the video. So I, I go out and I, and I film and I produce hunting shows and that go on the sportsman and outdoor channel. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that for the last six years going on seven. And then two years ago, one of my coworkers really turned me on to a podcast, Wired to Hunt podcast with Mark Kenyon. And he had Mark Drury on, and I'm like, wow, like I wanted to listen to it. And I really, you know, you heard about podcasts, but then it was like, what's a podcast really? It's like kind of radio, you know? And I was going on my, one of my first out-of-state hunts, and I was going to Missouri to hunt with a buddy, and I'm like, well, I got a 10-hour drive. I'll throw this podcast on. I threw it on, and I've been hooked ever since. And I've... Honestly, on a on a daily basis, I don't listen to the radio anymore. I listen to podcasts every day, every single day. There's like cool. I've got like four or five podcasts I listen to: the Deer Hunter podcast, uh, Nine Finger mm-hmm. Chronicles, um, Wired to Hunt. So there's a couple I listen to, but I've also got a 40 minute drive one way to work every day. So I've got a good drive that I can it yeah. passes the time, drink coffee, and 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 listen to them, and. Uh, so I'm like, man, I really want to do something like that because my passion is hunting. I've been doing the video thing. I want to do this podcast thing and really dive into it. Well, 
I started kind of accumulating some equipment and buying some stuff. I'm like, I'm really going to do this. So about two months ago, I started recording podcasts with guests. And I'm like, I want to get like 10 in the bank and then start, you know, I wanted a backfill basically. So I didn't have week to week. I was recording them, then putting them out like I am now. <laughs> but in yeah. so I had like five podcasts done, recorded, edited, ready to plug and play basically. Well, my bosses, they have their own shows, and that's the ones I produced. Uh, Rival Wild, Drop Project Alaska, that's what we do. So we went to Kansas to turkey hunt um, back in, well, what is it, May now? So I think it was right around the 1st of May. Okay. We went to turkey hunt. And uh, we go there, and we turkey hunt for like four or five days. We kill some birds and everything. We're filming. And uh, they flew in. And they got a rental car, and my other uh, co-worker and field producer, him and I drove Chris's truck down with the Ranger and all our gear and everything. So they were flying in because they, they had to leave early to go and um, get to some meetings. So they're like, oh, we'll fly in. And then Lee and I, we were going to go up to Missouri where we deer hunt, and we were going to turkey hunt up there after they left. So <laughs> we're... We're turkey hunting, we kill some birds, and it come down to the last day, and the landowner, so we lease 4,000 acres from this landowner, they were doing prescribed fires, and they were burning off all the CRP, and I don't know if you've been to Kansas. No, the, I'd love to. Like, it is a lot of CRP. and Yeah. So they're burning it because it's a big cattle farm, and they're trying to get the new successional and regrowth and everything, and, and it's under a management plan. So we load the truck up, the truck that we were driving get everything in it because we were going to go to lunch and we were going to drive around and try to find some turkeys and hunt them. So we load literally every piece of gear we have in the truck and uh, we go to lunch. I'm not kidding. We were only gone 45 minutes and we come back to our truck on fire and like the truck was completely burning and the Ranger, everything. We had ammo, guns, my computer, laptop, iPad, all of our clothes, all of our camo, like you name it. Like what I'm wearing right now is literally what you have. Like that's it. We, we roll up on this and there's like all the ammo and everything is going off. It sounds like gunshots everywhere. And it was like a lost cause. So what happened? The landowner was doing the prescribed fire. Well, it back burnt and it lit, uh, (laughs) we think it lit a building right next to it on fire. And then that lit, the truck on fire because the truck was sitting in gravel and when we left there was no flames no no fire no nothing and then we come back to this so we're like holy shit what is going yeah. on <laughs> it's like you're in awe you know so fast forward a little bit um chris and casey went home we didn't have a way to get home we were gonna fly home but lee and i were like well let's go get a rental car and still go up to missouri we'll go to cabela's buy some gear and <laughs> We'll just go hunt and make whatever out of it we could, you know. So we go do that. We killed two good birds in Missouri. As we're coming from Missouri to Michigan driving home, 10-hour driver, like, well, we have to make our our list out of of what we lost. And it started hitting me, and I'm like, I had a personal hard drive in there and my laptop that I do all my podcasts on. And everything was gone. Like, I I had nothing (sighs) backed up. And Lee's like, you didn't have anything backed up? And I'm like... No, and he's like, that is not like you, because I usually back my stuff up, so I, yeah. you know, you don't want to lose it, and that's just, 
And I'm like, I lost two months worth of work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And I said it on the last podcast. It was, it was such a downer that it's like you built this up. Like you had a brand, like I had a logo, I had a name, had like, yeah. you know, a brand built around it. I did all this work and I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore. I was, I just got, I got bit by like the lazy bug and like, really like that kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, you can't do that. This is something you've been wanting to do and working towards. And my wife helped me out. She's like, you have to do this. You've been wanting to do it. Just do it. And I'm like, okay. I went and recorded a introduction podcast. And right after that, I got the bug again. I'm like, I'm doing this. This is perfect. We're doing it. We're going to move on from that and keep going. So that's awesome. Hopefully that answers your question, but that's kind of how you, that's man. that's how it kind of got into it. And like I said, I've only been this is the th- you'll be the third episode, and I'm doing week to week. But I've got some really cool guests like yourself coming on, and I'm trying to find that I call them diamond in the roughs. You know, guys yeah. that you've never really heard of that are doing extraordinary things, except the you know guys that you do hear of like all the time on social media, you know? So mm-hmm. I want to get your guys' story out there. And quite honestly, I just love talking deer hunting. And that's awesome. That's what I want to do. I mean, we've been talking for a little over an hour here, and I have I feel like I've made a new friend. You know what I mean? So I, it's, yeah. it's awesome. And I really wanted to get the, the Michigan hunter out there too. But not only Michigan hunter, but a lot of guys in out-of-state too, you know, the the – PAs, the uh, New Yorks, yeah. the Iowas, the whatever, you know, I want to, I want to get yeah. everybody. So very cool. I think you're under a great thing, man. I really do. I, you know, it's one of those, like you said, with podcasts, people are starting to pick up on them more and more. Um, you know, it's kind of like the satellite radio. You feel bad for the, the, the local radio stations, but most people do listen to the, the XM and the Sirius yeah. and now more or less the, the podcast. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think you're going to do a great, great thing. Well, I appreciate it, man. And again, I appreciate you coming on here and taking taking some time out of your Saturday to do this. And and yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Maybe we can do this again. And honestly, I might see if my wife will want to come down and we'll we'll go do the course. And, and, <laughs> okay. and uh, careful what you wish for. <laughs> I did a I did a warrior dash back a couple of years ago, and that was pretty mm-hmm. fun. And you know, I I'll be honest with you, I haven't been training at all. It's I don't have like everybody says, I don't have time to work out, <laughs> but you got to yeah. make time. So, and it's something that's definitely, we both want to do. She, we just had our first kid. She's uh, going to be uh, nine. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. She's going to be nine months old next week. And we're both kind of like, okay, we got to get out and start being more active again. Cause we usually are really active and try to get yeah. out and run and do that kind of thing. And so that might be something where we work up to and I might get a hold of you and we come down and hang yeah. out and and uh yeah i'd love to show you around yeah for sure man but uh again thank you very much and uh i'll let you know when this comes out it's gonna come out this this uh this week um this like probably a wednesday probably it'll it'll air okay. so yeah but i appreciate it man and, and uh we'll keep we'll keep in touch all right sounds good all right i hey i do actually i do have something on a side note okay um that what I, I actually I bought an, an another business. Oh geez, okay. That, so plot plot thickens here. <laughs> it does thicken. Um, so the second buck I shot last year, um, I was just I just did a European mount on it. Okay. And I took it to the gentleman to do it because I just I didn't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, I've done them before, but I thought you know what, I'll just pay him to do it. Well, he actually 
does the hydro dipping. Okay. So I bought his business. So you hydro dip. I'm I'm starting or I'm continuing his hydro dipping business this as of this year. So tell yeah. me this: Do you hydro dip only skull mounts, or do you do like shotguns and bows and we're stuff gonna, like that? We're gonna, the, yep, we're gonna get. I'm gonna stick with the hunting market. Um, I mean, you can you can get into anything can be dipped really, um, you know. But I don't want to spread myself too thin. I want to be able to put my time forth and you know what it what the intended purpose was and continue his path with the 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 skulls the gun stocks the you know more of the hunting market um so yeah we i will be doing you know gun stocks and all that sorts um which i'm gonna be setting that shop up here um moving it from his location to my location here in the next month or two getting it all set up so i can hit the this year's hunting season you know full swing with the the whole hydro dip business so you know, I, so what what camo patterns do, do you have license what can you work with can you work with a real tree that, or a that's what oak? i'm working on right yeah that's what i'm working on right now and he's going to go all over all the logistics with me on you know what to do what, where you can get your patterns i mean the patterns available are pretty much endless yeah um i'll send you a picture of the buck that i had done and when I had it done, you know, I've seen it before and I, but I never really actually saw it up, you know, like real close and really looked into it. Um, but when I picked it up, I was, I mean, I was in awe, you know, I was just like, how the heck can you do this? Right. You know, like this is a, this is a badass thing. And he's like, and he showed me the whole process and he's like, yeah, I'm going to sell it. I said, sell why? He said, sell the business. He goes, I, you know, I'm, as I'm getting older, I got arthritis. It's just hard for my hands to, you know, knit, you know, to pick at the skulls and stuff. Um, and that was at the time I was looking at selling my gym. So it was kind of like, it, you know, it fell into my lap at the right time. And I talked to my wife about it and, you know, we typically with my outdoor place, we slow down in the, obviously with the fall cause of hunting, but then winter months we're, we're, we're extremely slow. Really the only thing we do is parties. You know, we might have a couple birthday parties, private parties in the clubhouse, but that's about it. So I was looking at something of how, you know, what can I substitute for the fall and winter months to, you know, bring in revenue. And, you know, I did my research on it and there's not a lot of guys that do this. So, you know, I, I, I presented him with an offer and he accepted and he's been training me for the last couple months in it. Um, you know, and he's going to continue training and he's going to continue working with me, um, throughout this year and, you know, and, and through the next year as I, as I get going on it, because I, you know, I want to, he's got a great reputation for what he does and I want to keep, you know, I want to live up to that. Um, you know, so that's, so that's one thing that, yeah, it's kind of this, this whole property, man, is evolving to more of a, a pleasurable, but work location, yeah. You know, so the so the hydro dipping is yeah that's my my new and upcoming business that uh, I'm gonna continue with going forward with. Um, it's called Fluid Graphics. Okay. So, do you have like a Facebook web. and Instagram anything uh, out there yet? We're, not yet because I I don't have the shop set up you know so I don't want to like not gonna say like it's gonna boom off the market but I don't want people like hey can you dip this this and, and have to turn people away because I'm not ready for it. Yet. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got the Facebook page started. Um, I've been working with the website here and there, but it, it, I haven't actually launched it yet. Um, goal is to have it launched probably by July, early August. Dude, so that's I can go awesome. into the, the hunting season, you know, so anybody that wants to, you know, have anything hydro dipped, you know, 
they can come my way for it. I am interested because I have some stuff I want. I've been wanting to get dipped in. Like you said, there's not a lot of people around here that do it. I can't find anybody around here that'll do it. And let alone that if they do do it, like does a good job. Yeah. You know, and that's what I, that's one thing I want to do is, you know, June, July or July, August, September, I want to take those months to practice on a lot of different objects, challenging objects to make sure that I can handle anyone, you know, if they bring me a gun stack, I don't want to screw it up. Right. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I actually have a couple of the gun, a couple of guns of my, my own that I'm going to practice on. Cause if I screw it up on my own, then it is what it is. Um, but I'm not going to say it's a simple thing, but you know, there's, there's technique to it yeah. and you want to make sure you do it right. You know, because you know, it is, it's someone's possession. You want to make sure if they're, you know, if they're paying you for that service, you want to do it the best as possible. So, um, yeah, once I get that up and going, man, you should definitely come down and, you know, check out my spread. I'll, you know, I'll take you for a ride. I mean, we can walk it too, but riding on the range is always better. I'm for sure coming uh, down, man, and checking out everything now that you have a hydro dip. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, like I said, I'm ex- I'm excited for it. You know, not only that, but I'm always intrigued when you walk into a taxidermist oh, and yes, you see yep. all the racks. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's one of those things that you know, as as I hopefully grow, you know, people bring me their their skulls and their heads that I get to you know kind of put my hands on just to say I saw it. You know, because yeah you get that one buck in there and it's like, Oh, holy cow. Yep. You know, it's like, how would you hydro dip this? <laughs> Why wouldn't you mount it? Exactly. But, yeah. You know, it, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of things going on, you know, and, and I guess I, I, I'm very, I'm fortunate. I've worked hard for it, but I, I'm excited to continue this, this path with the whole hunting and, you know, being able to not necessarily make money at it, but have fun with it. Yeah, for sure. And that that brings me another question that we're going to have to jump on another podcast once you get it up and going and talk about some hydro dipping and yeah. and kind of do some updates of what's going on with your management on your property and everything. We 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 Love need to, to for sure circle back and do that again. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't tell you about that earlier. Just, <laughs> yeah, you kind of you kind of left that out. <laughs> it just kind of was like, "Holy cow." But no, I mean, I just thought, "Man, this could actually be kind of a good way if you don't mind for obviously for marketing wise, you know, 100% man, that's what I want to do here. I want to help everybody else out too. Yeah. Well, I'll send you a couple pictures, like the the one that I had, but I'm going to send you one picture um, that if you want, I don't know how you, if you attach pictures to the podcast, I don't know. Is is that, I'll have to be able, I'll have to put them on like social media, like my Insta and and Facebook, but I'll, anything you want me to, to post or whatever, um, just let me know, send me some pics and I'll definitely, I'll definitely throw them out there. There's one picture that I, that I mean, it relates back to the property that I started hunting on that started with the QDMA 15 years ago. And the, all the guys in the area, they got together a couple of years ago and brought all their shoulder mounts down and put it on the barn. Oh, okay. And it, it's a badass picture. That's sweet. And it just, it just portrays the QDM, QDMA method. You know, let them go, let them grow. If you put the time in and you, you know, let them walk, the next neighbor's not going to shoot him. Exactly. Not necessarily, yep. you know. So if it's something that helps you out and you want to kind of display that too, um, I mean, it's, they've got it all over. QDMA uses the picture too. So it, it's just one of those, it, it really paints a good picture of what 
mature bucks look like and what it can, you know, what, it can, what your property can turn out for. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. yeah. So definitely I want to get, uh, for sure. I want to get those pictures so I can, I can get those out there and, and, uh, and promote you a little bit more too and, and everything sweet. that you're doing. I appreciate it. So, well, if there's no more hidden gems that you have, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty much good on that one. I'm right gonna now. let you uh, hang out with your family the rest of the Saturday, and I'm gonna go enjoy the, my family in the rain. So <laughs> sounds good, brother. I appreciate the time. All right, man. I'll get a hold of you soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks. And there you have it. Episode three is in the books. I can't thank Alec Faber enough for coming on and sharing his story. Go check out his social media pages, and and also if everybody would go to. Go to iTunes and leave a review and leave a five-star rating if you liked it. And I appreciate everybody's feedback, and, and I hope everybody enjoyed this. So until next time, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget, next Wednesday, an all-new episode of The Fall Podcast. Fall Podcast.